the Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. We're back for another week. Happy Veterans Day, folks. Um, I, uh, I'm pretty excited about this, um, this week for a lot of reasons. Uh, personally, Emily's got the day off, so she's excited about that. Um, and the weather here works for the government. Yes. Yes. Uh, the weather here in Ohio has been unseasonably very warm, so I'm enjoying it. Doing a lot of outside stuff that I didn't think I'd be doing the first part of November. Uh, Louisville pig show just happened. Life is good and all the crazy BS that's going on. You are absolutely right. And speaking of the hot weather, uh, conditions, boy, it's going to be real nice to start lambing here in a few days when uh-huh. it's nice and warm. Don't got to worry about them getting cold or frostbitten. Um, it's going to be going to be fun, fun start to lambing season. But yeah, yeah. have you uh, have you mowed your grass in November? So funny story. I did because so from my wedding day, which was well, a wedding week. My I was like, man, I got to mow my yard. That way it's at least halfway down. It's not going to grow as fast. Yada, yada, yada. My freaking mower wouldn't start. And I tried to charge nice. it, tried to drain the fuel line, all this crap still wouldn't start. So I was out there getting stuff organized while well, it was nice out. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to start it. Turn the key, boom, started. So I took off. I had other things to do, but I was like, I'm not sure how long this thing's going to go. And we're just going to, we're just going to mow it. So needless to say, if anybody out there is willing to gift the Kirkpatrick household a pretty nice zero turn mower, I'd be all about it. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, that was one of the things dad was talking about this past weekend. It's like, man, it's like, I, I can't remember the last time I had to mow my grass in November. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And, you know, it's thankful that we're having this good weather and getting the grass mowed because uh, we need to start thinking about the last cyber stock show of the series. And, you know, all the talk we had with lawns and striping them. We're striping lawns in November and we can do that with Walton Webcasting's Turkey Bowl. That is, uh, the deadline ends Monday the 16th. So we're coming up on on the deadline here. Um, so for you pig folks, sure. I know this is a sheep episode, but for you pig folks out there, sheep people, tell your pig friends, let's get it done. Trevor, that was the most incredible segue I think we've possibly had on this show. <laughs> <laughs> like totally unrelated conversation and then boom segues it into ah, that's just way what to I go. Do. That's what I do. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. Show date uh, for that uh, is, is the 20th, by the way, I forgot to say that. So not only does Walton have the Turkey bowl going on, but a special treat for all you sheep enthusiasts, which I assume if you're listening to this episode, you do have a strong sheep interest, but this Thursday night, which if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it'd be tomorrow night, um, uh, November the 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern, the Ram Fest will be streaming again. So if you missed out on that, uh, that was Dr. Todd Wolf with Team Wolf Genetics uh, there at the Great Lakes Sire Services Facility. Uh, they had about 12 bucks 
that they had uh, lined up from various breeders and uh, they do discussion on those Rams. There's a big collection day there. Hell on wheels was there. I'm not so sure that he was uh, actually on camera here, Um, but we did get some semen put up there. Hell on wheels. So I'll do a shameless plug, but uh, Dr. Todd Wolf putting together a really cool event there. So if you got time on Thursday night, November 12th, 7 PM Ram fest, we'll be streaming on the, uh, Walton webcasting live platform there on Facebook. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, I believe that it'll also be on the Walton webcasting website. So very cool stuff still coming to you from Walton. That's way cool. Um, man, uh, I'm becoming an old man this week. Trev. That's right. I was going to say something later on, but yeah, birthday's coming yeah. up. Another, another year closer to 30. I'm getting kind of nervous. My yeah. back's probably going to go out tomorrow. Yeah, I feel it every whatever, every every day. Yeah, you know when when you're more concerned with the uh, the quality of mattress you sleep on as oh. you continue to get older, it just let's talk about that for a minute. Breaking news again in the Kirkpatrick household: we did buy a brand new mattress. No, and we are freaking excited. <laughs> so you, it probably means we're go, getting old. Did you go king sized? No, we can't because our trust me. Every salesman, we went to two places, and both of them said we needed to do that. Totally, totally would. But our room that would literally be the new floor in our bedroom because oh, our oh yeah uh, yeah our bedroom's not very large. So That's thought process is nice in there. Queen is nice, and the thought process is it's it's. It's a very nice mattress. It's not like top of the line like we were going to go for. But whenever we move, that could be a really, really nice guest bed. And then we go to the king. So you mean you mean my bed? Yes, exactly. When you come and hang out, yeah. it's actually <laughs> arriving today. Um, so we're all we're, we're very excited. Those, is it one of those like uh, mattress in a box things or no, no. So we um, shout out to Mick here in Worcester at the Sleep Outfitters. He uh, he took care of us, and he's getting it delivered, and he's going to take our old mattress and box springs out for us. How about How that about for service? That? Yeah, that is customer service at its finest in 2020. But that means you're getting old when you get uh, excited about a mattress. So hey, I'll uh, I'll take it. Well, I mean, you always you always want to find the experts in whatever uh, industry you're tied into, and I feel like your mattress guy really helped you out there. Um, and, you know, sometimes dealing with salespeople can be a little bit stressful. You don't want to get oversold on something. Right. Uh, but you also want them to have real good opinions on you know, on what they have to offer. And, you know, who has really good opinions on what they have to offer? That is the staff at ShowCattleConnection.com. Uh-huh. Now, how about that transition? Man, I did it, too. This is really <laughs> good. Uh, folks. I am not lying, though. The staff that works with the Show Cattle Connection crew, uh, whether you're looking to book a sale or you have questions about cattle that are in sales, uh, do not hesitate to get a hold of those people. We are approaching prime time to buy frozen genetics. And if you are not at the forefront of looking for those types of opportunities on showcattleconnection.com, you might as well have your head buried in the sand mm-hmm. and not paying attention to what's going on around you. Folks, those those people at Show Cattle Connection are top of the line. 
They work with incredible breeders. There's baby calf sales going on right now. Get your show steer projects bought so that you can go and whoop some butt at these, at these uh, winter jackpot shows. It is time to get on showcattleconnection.com for your next show cattle project. Absolutely incredible. We're segueing all over. We used to be pretty good at that, and I think we just kind of we went with it, and then now we're getting a little bit more creative, and I like it. I like it a lot. Yep. Good stuff. Well, um, we're also thankful for our Hats Off sponsor, which we're just going to dive right into. Um, and that's uh, Fierce Threads and Big Paul Lifestyle Company. Um, look, folks, I don't know what you're doing, uh, but I'd figure the store would be empty by now at stocktalk-podcast.com slash shop or store, one or the other. Anyway, just go to our website and look at our merch. And it all comes from uh, Fierce Threads. It's incredible. Uh, we still got a little bit of sweatshirt inventory left for the cool weather coming up. And if you can't find it there, go to Big Paul Lifestyle, and they will have it all. And it's all um, very livestock savvy and really cool. We talked about uh, the Poland shirt that they just came out with. There's some cattle. Um, they've got all species now. So love our folks there at Fierce Threads and the Big Paul Lifestyle Company. So I'm going to kick it off this time. And it's Veterans Day. Do it. My hat goes off to the veterans. Look, we're in a wild time. And when it seems like the United States of America is going up in flames because all of a sudden we're changing presidents and half of us, or more than half of us evidently, you know, agree with one way or the other. Let's forget about all of that. And let's remember those who have served for the greater good that is the United States of America, our veterans. If it wasn't for you guys, it would be up in flames and wouldn't be metaphorical. So my hat goes off to every single one of you veterans out there who have served their time. Uh, truly, I, I appreciate you. Um, you are the men and women uh, who are the backbone of this country. So thank you to our veterans of the great United States of America. Well, let's just keep this train rolling here because I have something special Uh-oh. for our veterans that could be listening. Obviously, my hat goes off to the veterans as well, but here's a little something for you. Our thanks to you for all you do defending our flag, the red, white, and blue. As Americans, we know what freedom means, the joy, the peace, and the right to dream. Freedom, we love, but it is not free. The sacrifice is great, and you gave willingly. Our thoughts and prayers are with you today as you fight for freedom so far away. May God keep you safe in all that you do and bring you back home to those who love you. To the veterans, we thank you. We're forever grateful. Very and that nice. was a little something for you. I like it. Of our veterans, man, we don't we don't probably don't say enough about that. I mean, Veteran Days comes up, and we then we do, but brains happen more often. Uh, those those folks sacrificed a lot for us, so you know, I, I don't think that there's ever a better time in uh, in, in the history uh, of the United States that we should be thankful for our veterans and our freedom, because for sure. when when freedom is at stake here in, in our own land, it's important to remember. The people that fought for it. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Wow. 
heavy, heavy stuff. Um, but really good. Uh, I don't, my, uh, I would like to give a special shout out to my grandpa who is a fireman in the U S air force. Very cool. And, uh, yeah, lots of, I've got lots of uh, great aunts and uncles that were, uh, in the service. Yeah, it's cool. And it's really neat to hear those stories and remember our history, um, because it can be easily forgotten, unfortunately now in this fast paced society, but need to keep that in check. So here we go. Bream ship from show Of course, brought to you by formula of champions show feeds premium line of products sweeping the Midwest. They're highly fortified and they're using unique ingredients and consistent high quality standards to learn how to flip the switch. And you guys know how to do it. Go to formulaofchampions.com. Formula of Champions, a division of Kallenbach Feeds. I think nicely done. It's your turn, my friend, to read and, sh- and throw it me is. a ship and show them. It is, and I, I've got a real good one for you. Uh, this one comes to a uh, longtime listener of the show, Cody. Cody on Facebook sends this freedom ship. I'm showing them in, and uh, boy, you've got you've got it cut out for you this week, Kirky. Got to write it down. Okay, he's, he's in the there drawing, man. Tell Option him about it. One, you haven't. There you go. You have an Angus bull that leads the breed in all EPDs, but he's down on his front pasterns, which requires a foot trim every six months, as well as being pretty slab-sided. But he does have a very feminine front one-third and is structurally sound when his feet are trimmed properly. You also already have 750 units of semen sold on him if you choose to collect him. Interesting. But when you had him semen tested, you got a little low motility. So you got a lot yeah. of units sold, but it's not real promising. But, you know, this this is the uh, the data bull of the breed, of the Angus breed, which we all know how, uh, how highly touted that is. Yeah. Okay. Angus bull. All right. Option number two. You have a very promising Shorthorn Plus heifer that's good enough that she could win any show she goes to uh, the regional level, okay? Except she needs a dose of Ace daily at the show. Oh, boy, got a crazy one. Yep. She's also THNPHA carrier and will only produce bull calves when she finally settles, okay? It could be on the first heat, or not for a whole year, and she will not produce viable grade one and two eggs whenever she's flushed. So, I mean, you got a pretty promising show heifer that's a little wild and uh, only going to produce you bull calves, and she's a shorthorn plus. So, okay, about that. Okay, now picture this you've got a Hereford boar. Okay, that Hereford boar has sired pigs that have been on the show circuit all year. Okay, doing well, winning shows. You have you have a new litter uh, out of him in the fairing house that look real, real good. However, these pigs are going to grow to be the complete but common type of hogs okay. that will likely get beat in the show ring. Um, and the and the major downfall of this boar is he can only settle a third of the sows that he breeds, but he's got a show string 
out there on the circuit right now that's kicking butt and taking names, what do you do with that boar? Okay, so again, the scenario is the EPD Angus Bull, the quality, crazy, um, non, uh, non-flushing non shorthorn plus heifer and a Hereford boar that's got a really good show string out, but the next one might be a little bit common, and he can only settle a third of the sows. Okay. I'd be curious to know what Stock Talk Nation has to say about this one. Uh, Cody, you, you kind of really thought about this, and um, I hope we get more more and more people do it because this is awesome. For me, I think it falls pretty well into place. Um, now, there's a lot of different parts and pieces to each one that makes you kind of, uh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. The one I'm most certain about is... The crazy shorthorn half, <laughs> excuse me, crazy shorthorn heifer that could win any show. To me, although yep. she's crazy, I think I got to show her because I know she's TH, PHA carrier, but man, when she finally settles, that really worries me. So let's go win some banners. Let's go dual, dual purpose her. Any breed there, shorthorn plus heifer, I'm showing her. So then that brings you down to the two male pigs. That the Angus Bull is a numbers bull, which, big deal. And you've already making money off of them, 750 units sold. I think I'm breeding the Angus Bull and I'm shipping the Hereford boar, and here's why. The complete but common type I'm not in. Uh, they've got to have a little bit of stuff. Um, I like the completeness, but I don't like common. Um, and I'm not sure how many people have a lot of Hereford sows. And when he's only settling a third of them, if you have three, that's only one. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, the odds aren't real good there. I think I'm shipping, shipping the Herf and breeding the Angus bull. Um, you know, although he's got some management problems there with his feet, uh, it looks pretty good. And uh, if he's numbers friendly, I think the the commercial side would be pretty happy with that. Um, got a feminine front end and all that stuff he said. So there's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Breeding the, uh, bringing the Angus, showing the Herf, or showing the Shorthorn Plus, shipping Herf. Man, uh, as you were talking through that, I'm like, oh, that there's a lot of logic there. I like it. I'd probably agree. Here, here, I'm gonna throw this one at you. Okay, I'm gonna flip flop. I'm, I'm still shipping the Hereford boar. Okay, uh -huh. that's a. I feel like that's a gimme in this scenario. But uh, when you talk about showing, uh, with the op, you know, I, I would, I would assume showing obviously gives you an opportunity to sell. I think if I have an Angus bull that leads the Angus breed, the largest breed in in America, in EPDs. Uh, I'm, I think I'm, I'm showing that thing. And, uh, especially if he's real sound and, uh, and good looking, I'm taking that thing and, and I'm going to, I'm going to display him. I'm going to sell him and, uh, and, and make, make a pile of money. I, I think, I think I can make a million bucks because knowing that he's and this is really sketchy, but knowing that he has low motility, you know, you might sell that 700, you know, 750 doses of semen on him, but, uh, 
boy, if people find out that that semen motility is not real good and he's not going to settle any cows, uh, you might have missed out on an opportunity to cash in on him early. That's true. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to breed this short horn plus heifer and hope that I could get good enough bull calves out of him or out of her to make some really hairy steers with that TH and PHA carrier gene involved there. You never know. You might get some good stuff. So that's my theory. I don't think that there's probably a wrong answer. Well, the wrong answer is to do anything but ship the Hereford boar. Yeah, so, yeah, or, but you got to yeah. do that there. Yeah, after I read through them, I, I was less convinced, but I don't know. I, I, I think I think I would stick the numbers to the breeding program. I don't know. That's interesting. I, I'd like to hear what people say about this, but uh, nonetheless, Cody, that was, uh, that was pretty good. And um, we need more of those, so keep sending them in, Facebook message, email, uh, whatever. So um, that's a good Bream ship, ship and show them. Thanks to Formula of Champions for our segment sponsor. Corey, we do a lot of cool things for a lot of cool people. And we have a new sponsor alert. DJ Horn for it. Phantom Halters is now part of the show. And they have the ultimate cable halter. Rather you're in the barn or the show ring, the Phantom Halter will help the showman of all ages control their animal. Phantom Halter is also developed for your showman with the stockman in mind. It's smooth and not prone to some fray like maybe some of the other ones on the market. And the Phantom Halter is better for your animal and it will not aggravate it or bother it in any way. You know, Trev, you're right. And you can use this style of halter both at home and in the show ring. With this style, there's no need to place a show halter over top of this halter. Just attach your choice of lead and hit the ring. For cattle, there are three sizes to choose from, no tools required. Also comes in two sheep and goat halter sizes. So go to phantomhalter.com, that's P-H-A-N-T-O-M halter.com to place your order. Use coupon code STOCKTALK for a 5% discount on your next order i love discount codes if you don't um you're not a bargain shopper yeah and it's all and together too the s-t-o-c-k-t-a-l-k yeah, yes stock talk all one word all lowercase uh very very excited to have the crew at phantom halters uh you know we're all about new innovation and technologies and uh that that's one that i think a lot of people are finding uh, a very high quality and useful tool within yeah. the industry i wish they had I wish we could show pigs with halters. A, that would be cool as hell. B, just because I think they look so badass that I want one, and I don't have any reason to own one. <laughs> but um, thanks to the Hunker family, uh, the the Phantom Halter deal is, is going to be way cool. So uh, with that being said, Corey, um, we've got a guest on here that knows a couple things about uh, sheep halters, maybe, uh, a little bit more than that. But... Um, I'll, I'm going to let you just take the mic, and we're going to get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time here. Uh, if you read who this episode title is going to include, um, you should be pretty excited. It's a, it's a history lesson, an inspiration, and a absolute um, motivation tool wrapped all into one. Uh, so get ready to be educated. Get ready to enjoy history and get ready to feel good about where we're going to be in 2021. Welcome to the show, Dr. Clay Elliott. 
Uh, Clay, really thankful to have you on here. And for those listening that are used to Trevoring, uh, Trevor introducing our guest, uh, I'm going to be taking the reins this week. Um, and Clay, it's uh, it's been fun to uh, kind of watch your daughters grow up showing from afar um, and, and the job that they've done, um, but also uh, what you've been able to do within the industry. Uh, I know as a, as a sheep enthusiast and sheep breeder, um, highly respect you and your firm and, and what you guys have been able to put together and, and the impact of some of the things you've been working on in the industry. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, for those that don't know yet, give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and, and even your current role with Purina. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, I, I grew up in uh, northeastern Wyoming, actually, on a diversified livestock operation. And our, our primary income was the cattle business. We run uh, not only some commercial cows, but also a set of uh, main-influenced cows, one of the, one of the larger uh, percentage herds in the country at the time when I was a kid. And, and, and we did that. And I spent a significant time growing up pounding T-posts and, and stretching barbed wire. And we were horseback nearly every day throughout the summer, uh, chasing cows, sorting cows to the bulls, moving cows to the community pasture, um, that kind of stuff. And so I, I learned very early that, um, that, that work on the ranch was, was definitely, uh, challenging and it spent it took us a lot of hours to get it done and it was never finished we always woke up the next morning with with more to do and as a child we took very very few vacations if we went on a weekend trip uh, 60 miles away to rapid city south dakota to see the horse races why that was a vacation to us and we went right back to work and so anyway and and honestly um i grew up and as i got a in my teenage years, I started really thinking that I was kind of abused because my, my friends that were the same age group, man, they, they were in town, they were having a good time. They were chasing girls and they might've been sneaking a beer once in a while and doing some of those fun <laughs> things. And well, I tell you, I just, I didn't get that opportunity very often. And, and I thought it was a bad deal, but as I grew older, I, I realized that it was actually a really good deal. Mm-hmm. And, I and I, I'm yeah. very proud of the way that my parents raised me. I had two older brothers that are both um, still involved with the ranch. And um, they're still there on, on the home place. And, well, I tell you what, I wouldn't trade my raisin for anything. But I wouldn't want to do what we did every day as a child either now as an adult. So <laughs> I was going to ask you if you miss riding horseback much. I do not. <laughs> Actually, when I when I told my folks I was going to college, I was the first of the three boys to go to school. And I told them I was going to college. And I told them the day I walked out, I said, you can sell my horse. You can sell my saddle because I'm not coming back. <laughs> and and they, they didn't believe me. They uh, they left my horse and saddle there through junior college. I went to Casper College and judged and Went on to Colorado State University and got a bachelor's degree and was on a competitive judging team. And gosh, I went on to Texas Tech and uh, got an, a master's degree in meat science and trained a judging team. And I still owned a horse and a saddle. <laughs> and uh, finally, when my wife and I got married, I was working on my PhD or starting my PhD work at Texas Tech. And shoot, they, they finally sold my sold my horse and saddle, but do you know how long 
it actually took them from the time I went to junior college at 18 years old for them to buy a four wheeler <laughs> and, and a, a, a calf table to brand with, you know, how long it took them about three weeks from the oh. time I left. And so I, 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 I sure would have liked to have had a four wheeler when I was 18. That would have been a lot more fun, but oh, geez. Oh. anyway, we, we ran a, a group of quarter horse mares uh, on the ranch. I showed uh, steers and heifers. I showed lambs. I showed hogs. So, so I, I did have a, a really good diversification in terms of at least showing some livestock and having some understanding. And, and I tell you, um, it helped me, I think to, to be somewhat successful judging livestock at the junior college level. And, and then more importantly, when I got to the senior college level, um, I had some success, but, uh, where, where I really, um, probably learned as much as anything from that ranch was when I started training judging teams, mm-hmm. because I did not come through the, the traditional 4-H and FFA programs that, that actually had, good coaches that prep them to go to junior college, et cetera. I didn't have any of that. But what I did have was a, a really solid understanding of animal husbandry and livestock production and structural integrity and those cows who could who could travel the country and short grass country and and maintain some body flesh and move and graze and get to water and be efficient. And and I never really put that stuff together when I was in junior college judging. I mean, just immaturity more than anything, I suppose. But senior college, it started to make sense. But when I started to teach young people, that started to resonate with me more than anything and why the things that we look for in the, in the show ring or in the judging arena all comes back to exactly those lessons learned on that ranch. Mm. And I think that was one of the things that made us very successful when it comes to training judging teams is because not only did we have some understanding of the show world as we, as we all need to, but you know what? Those kids had a very solid understanding of production agriculture, but because of my background and I, and I stress that to them, that that was the importance of what we were doing. So that's the, that's, a, that's a unique aspect too, because there's a lot of programs out there that, that good, bad, or indifferent don't have a, uh, a person of leadership that has had those experiences. You know, maybe they grew up through similar, uh, you know, the 4-H program, FFA program, and, and, and did the, the similar path uh, through junior and senior college. But, uh, I, I imagine it's funny because Trevor and I often reflect about, uh, boy, I wish I knew as much as I did now, uh, while, right while I was on. actually at a judging program because right things might be a little different. Uh, but I think it is that, that immaturity, that experience that after you, after you leave those programs and you really start to think about, you know, how, how things ran when you were gone or when you were at home reading them, you're like, man, why, why didn't I have that? Yeah. Uh, and also too the touch on that like you were talking about your time at casper then getting to the colorado state there for me it was blackhawk and ohio state but i just finally learned all the basics my sophomore year i finally figured right most on. of it out and uh, and i'll be honest for for me and some of other folks i talked with it's a very mental battle when you think, man, am I fit for this? Or, you know, it, should I go to the next level? But yeah. it's that extra two years of maturity for me that, that 
all the inexperience I had, then going out there and, and networking with people like Corey, then finally getting to the senior college level where everything started clicking a little bit. Those started produ- to make a little more sense. Yeah, didn't it? that's exactly right. Yep. One of, one of my favorite stories about my my dad, who is since deceased, but to when we uh, when we had those main cows, that was right in the the start really of when we started bringing Kenina bulls in those full blood percentage mm-hmm. white key bulls. And man, we had we run those cows on acres and acres and acres of ground, and holy cow, those we we brought two of them big full blood bulls in, and they were in the in the corral. I'll remember. And my dad came down, walked down from the house and he looked at the new bulls and he just, he was amazed by how big they were, how tall they were, uh, just giant animals. And he studied them and he looked at my brother, my oldest brother. And I remember him saying, he shook his head. No. And he said, those will never work here. Mm. And Mm. that was it. That, he, he didn't say you're dumb. You're an idiot. That's a foolish move. Nothing. He just said, they'll never work here. He went back to the house. And you know what? We ran those bulls for two years and holy cow, those things were hard doing those heifers. We couldn't retain uh-huh. heifers back out of them because they were just too thin and too gangly and they just couldn't adapt to the country. Mm. Bottom line, they, they just yeah. wouldn't work. As my dad said, they won't work here. And so there were some things, you know, just in growing up that you don't know when, when those lessons were taught or when they were learned. But, man, I, I can tell you that when I trained those judging teams, I always leaned more towards softer, sounder, more, more cow-like than I ever leaned to those little more exotic and more extreme ones based upon that, mm. just because of my heritage, just because of my background. Now, not saying that as, as time, you know, you, you adapt to training kids and training judging teams for contests. You, you eventually adapt and, and move towards some of those that, that maybe are a little more exotic necked and a little cooler built and still sound, et cetera. But, you know, that was always where the, where the uh, heritage was laid was back on those production cows in you know, Northeastern Wyoming out on the plains. So. Yeah, and that's you, a, that's a lot of where some of our our sheep background comes from too. I could imagine. Uh, you guys can't see uh, in front of me, but there's a picture of my, my dad showed Simmental's uh, in the '80s and in early '90s. <clears throat> and uh, for those of you listening that remember what those cows looked like back then, I mean, uh, you were lucky to see the judge's forehead over the back of the cattle <laughs> in the yeah. in the backdrop picture. Big uh, and uh, you know, I, I just it really makes you think that the amount of trends and ups and downs that happened throughout the course of time to get us to where we are now uh, is amazing. And, and to be able to have that kind of a influence, you know, that, that story about your dad, it, it just rings so true though across the industry because um, just to walk out, look at something and and know that it's, it is, or it isn't going to work uh, and have that strong of a conviction about it. And then later on, uh, prove be prove, prove to be correct. Right on. <laughs> so, yeah, so you right. know, it, it's uh, you know, when we think about where we're at in breeding livestock now, I I kind of often reflect back to those moments, uh, like like I've had with my own dad that said, "Boy, we tried that; it didn't work." Uh, so we're, we're going to have to continue down this path or whatever. So, um, but speaking of history and old stories, let's talk about the inception of All Red Elliot. 
uh, genetics and, and where you truly got your, your footing in the sheep industry and starting that, that program. Yep. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a really neat story. And I've, I've been able to tell this story a number of times, but my partner and his wife, John and Jean Allred, uh, were, were from Vernal, Utah, which is in that Uinta Basin there in kind of the eastern part of Utah. And when, when I was a kid, me and my middle brother had a group of ewes, and we would go to the old legendary Top of the Rockies show and sale in July in Longmont, Colorado. And, of course, we went there initially to buy breeding stock to improve our, our little flock of 100 ewes. And... And at that time, gosh, we were able to buy into some, you know, some McElrath genetics. Um, we were able to buy into some, some dynamite genetics, some old Gale Christian stuff at that time, just bits and pieces. Um, and we didn't know what we were doing. We were, we were trying to be progressive, but, you know, we, we didn't have the money. We didn't, you know, have, um, you know, the, the funding to go ahead and jump in there and buy one of those um, you know, four or $5,000 bucks. And that's what those things cost then. That was high. I'm just saying that was a lot of money. I mean, yeah. if you give 2,500 to 3,000 for one, whew, you were rich. I mean, <laughs> sincerely, you were yeah. rich. And um, so we were, we were playing off of some of those $1,500 genetics, $1,600 genetics. And <clears throat> we were there selling some sheep finally uh, we'd been there going selling for a couple of years there and and John Allred who was my partner he he came up to us and he said he came up to me and he said he said um, Clay he said I've been I've been watching you guys here for the last few years and he said um, you know I I don't know I don't know how to do this. He said, I've been buying the Supreme champion Ram here at the top of the Rockies for three years in a row now. And he said, I've been buying those pins of three U lambs from Cadness uh, there in Oklahoma. I've been buying those. And honestly, we've been taking them home. We've been showing them. We've been keeping lambs out of them for my kids to show. And um, hey, we can't get out of the, out of the white group. They had the Danish system. They were blue, red, mm -hmm. and white. And he said, well, I can't get my kids out of the white group. And he said, we've spent significant money. And he said, would you, if you see a buck here, would you let me know? He said, if you think there's a, a good buck here, I'd like to try to buy him. I was like, okay, fair enough. So we, we visited off and on through that deal. And, and, and Alan McCune, the, the great Alan McCune had taken a line bred cabinet 212 buck lamb. He was, his pedigree was stamped with 0212 on both sides, multiple shots. And he was kind of a, he wasn't a big sheep. He was a moderate sheep with ample muscle, but really good made, really sound, real good looking. Um, and John Allred, he, he went and bought that buck. And that buck was maybe second or third in his class. And he gives $750 for that buck. And he'd been given 3,500, 3,800 hmm. for some of them Supreme champions. And man, he bought the buck and he came back to where our pen was. And he said, Clay he said, are you sure that buck's any good? <laughs> I said, no. I said, I'm not sure about anything. <laughs> he said, well, I bought him and he only cost me $750. 
And I said, well, I guess it's not going to cost much to try him then, is it? <laughs> and uh, he, he laughed and he said, I guess not. And he took him home and he used him. And so I went home, I went to, to their place in the winter time of that year. I was in college at Colorado State and I went to their place in the winter and looked at them babies. And, and you know, I thought that there was a handful of lambs in there that were real, real good. And I thought there were some that were real, real crappy, you know, as you'd expect. But I thought that the top end of those things were very good. And in that group was a, was a daughter um, out of one of those old cabinets to use a ewe lamb that I thought was just absolutely stellar good. I mean, just ahead of her time. One that I thought was made good, had muscle shape and a giant back. And those cabinets, 212 sheep had the biggest racks and the really a hard touch to them anyway. Mm. And that sheep was made good. And I just, I told him, I said, you know, that's a you right there. You go, you have to keep, you just have to build around her. I said, she's elite. I said, we need to, need to cull some of these other ones that didn't produce as well and, and uh, go from there. Well, to make the story um, maybe longer is I went home from Utah to, uh, to my family's place in Wyoming and we were lambing ewes and, you know, my brother, he was shorthanded and <clears throat> had about a hundred ewes in there that he was trying to take care of by himself. And man, the, the, the creek feed was expensive and the winter was cold and, you know, he was frustrated because I'd left and went to college and left him with all of the work and headache and most of the expense and, so he, he was kind of down in the mouth. And, and so we kind of got into one of those brotherly spats there in the barn. And I said, you know what? I said, uh, I'll just get my use out of here. I said, I'll move them things. I'll have these things out of here by tomorrow. And he said, you know, that'd be fine. And away we did. And we parted ways. And I called John and Gene Allred on the phone that night. And I said, how would you folks like to be partners? And they said, well, that'd be great. How do we do that? And I explained the situation. Well, and then I had about, uh, oh, 20, 25 ewes that I needed to have a new home for. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they said, well, bring them. And so I took those ewes down there the next day. Um, that first year, we split those ewes and their offspring. And from that point on, we just kind of merged everything together. I, they started the, doing the, all of the lambing and, and the grunt work, the hard work. And then I was taking those lambs with me and marketing them and sending them a check back. And so that's kind of how all Red Elliot started and it just <laughs> continued to grow. And uh, I tell you, I, I would not say that John and Gene were, were wealthy by any stretch, but they were, they were, um, they, they were secure <laughs> and they helped us. They helped me to get breeding stock that I thought we needed. And we sent those things there and then as time evolved, why I managed to start keeping a few ewes here at my place. And then we ended up with two flocks, basically, one here and one in Utah. And so that's kind of the story of All Red Elliot. And uh, John and Gene have been absolutely tremendous, tremendous partners over the years. And, and they are both significantly competitive, just so competitive. They want to do better every time. And they they loved it when we were... Um, having the success we had in Texas for those six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years where we won those Texas majors. And oh my gosh, you've never seen a, a pair of folks that were more excited and, and just booming with pride. They just, that was, 
so cool to them that the success level that that they had achieved with that set of sheep that were born right there in Vernal, Utah. So that was a neat deal. My my partner John passed away this spring, had a heart attack uh, there the first part of March. And boy, I tell you what, it has been a hard loss for me and my family because he was so so good to us. And I know that his family feels the pain every day, but he was a good human being. So I, yep. I, I could imagine. And one of the things that uh, we, we've talked about several times on the show is um, what it's like to have a good partner. How do those relationships start? And, and it seems like it all always goes back to uh, regardless of your respect for them from a, a livestock evaluation standpoint, uh, the central, the central point to it all is that they are good people, uh, yes. people that you would trust with, with your own kids, everything, with, with, with their everything. life, with their money, everything. Yep. Um, and, and, and that story right there just, uh, kind of, uh, you know, it knocks it out of the park and, and, and sends the runners around the bases to bring it all full circle. For those of you that have listened, uh, to those kind of stories in the past, uh, <clears throat> that's a, that's a real, real good story, Clay, and appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, it, it's, uh, Man, you know, as, as we navigate our own partnerships as young livestock people, um, those are things I look for. I, I mean, uh, an interesting story you guys might might like is, and I've not really told this on, on the podcast before, but, you know, I, I've told this story about how we bought Hell on Wheels from from uh, Eric Shellhouse, uh, but, I, but I never really told the story about uh, our partners on that buck. Um, two, two guys that are actually partnered on a flock, uh, from Ohio. Um, you know, I, I called Eric, I said, Hey, what do you want for the buck? He told me, um, I said, well, I might be interested in partnering with somebody. Do you know of anybody that's interested? Uh, and he told me these guys named never met him before. Uh, it took one phone call. Um, and, and I'm a big person on feeling. And, uh, after that phone call, I said, those are good dudes. Uh, those are, those are guys right that I think I can trust. They and, are good uh, dudes. You guys did and, good. Yep. Yes. And, uh, you know, that was a pretty easy decision to make to partner with those guys. Um, and, uh, and it's been, been seamless ever since. Um, so matter of fact, while I'm going to be in Louisville this week, they're actually bringing the buck for us uh, from Ohio, uh, here and, and I don't have to waste gas money to go pick them up. That's so awesome. uh, yeah, that's pretty good. cool. And, and, you know, so, so I don't know, it just, it's really kind of cool to hear those stories about partnerships and how they work out. Cause you know, you hear, you hear horror stories about how they can go so bad. Um, right. but, but I think if you keep the central focus on just working with good people, uh, and, and knowing how they are at, at their true core versus, uh, their end game, that's, that's right. probably the best way to go about it. The good people are, are the basis of a good partnership when you got good livestock to go with it makes everything a little sweeter especially when when you got competitive that competitive drive that you talked about uh you know and and to go any further my heart goes out to to that family i it's a it's tough just losing a good person let alone uh anybody but uh but it is it's so fun to work with good people and good livestock and 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 that that's kind of that's what makes the wheels turn and the wheels wheels burn if you will are you ready to take your marketing and design to the next level? Tarbell Marketing and Design is a livestock-savvy marketing agency that will get you thinking out of the box. Every first-time customer can get 15% off if you mention Stock Talk Podcast. Visit ChooseTMD.com today. The difference is in the details. And you've been involved with a, a lot of really good ones, Clay. Uh, so for a number of years, how do you continue to make the progress? 
the progress, if I can get the words out of my mouth. Words are hard, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and continue to succeed, whether it be your breeding strategy or, or sticking to the kind you like. What's the secret uh, that you would be willing to tell for the success you've had over the years? You know, I, I will tell you that uh, I don't I don't know what the secret is. And I don't know if we ha- I have a secret, to be honest with you. I'll be everybody would like to probably think that they have succeeded, they've done well, etc. And honestly, I don't I don't know. I look at what we've accomplished tonight and I think, golly sakes, I wish we'd have done this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Um, but what I what I can tell you is that I there is a specific kind of sheep that I like. There's a specific kind of heifer I like. I'm not a great hog evaluator, but there's a specific kind of hog I like. And honest to goodness, those things all look alike. <laughs> In all reality, they look alike. They're all tall enough fronted. They all have some neck length. They have some soundness to their skeleton. They move with flexibility. They hold themselves together in motion. They have an adequate amount of muscularity. They, they are, have the ability to be put themselves, their, their feet on the corners, and, and they have some quality and some look and some balance. And so, you know, I think that the biggest thing that we have done is we have always tried, now tried, to stick to a kind and the kind that I like. And and. In terms of breeding those animals, we've always tried to to maintain some some uh, line breeding, some some intensity in terms of the genetics, and, and try to keep some things in check um, so that we don't hopefully get too far off the beaten path. And I know that we <clears throat> went and got one one buck several years ago that was a complete and total outcross. He had had no no relation. And that buck came in here and honestly, he did not do a great job. Uh, He did a poor job, but what he did do is I got a buck lamb and I got a handful of ewes out of him that were real good. And you know what I did with those? I kept them and I bred them and I canned the rest of those things. I got rid of them. Because I felt like I had gotten all that I needed. Okay, I I got some extra bone, some extra foot, some extra leg wool, some extra skeletal width, some things that we were needing. I got it. And I was not going to propagate that stuff that I didn't like anymore. So I was able to get some help, some help with, with the outcross genetics and still use my own genetics to help propagate it in the future. And Mm. so I would tell you to tell, tell folks, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying what we did. And, and, and my belief was the fact that those animals would always breed back towards their genetic base. Okay. They, They would always breed back if they were bred to be tall fronted and shallow and sound and good looking even though maybe that you was too straight need and maybe she was too low fronted, I could probably breed that particular you out of the buck to um, one of our bucks that was that way. And in one generation, I could have those things back to being tall fronted and shallow and high headed and that stuff. But maybe 
bring along some of the things I needed in terms of skeletal width and leg wool, bone, whatever. So that was always my thought. And, you know, in, in some cases it worked in other cases it didn't. And you say, well, shoot, that obviously doesn't work. Let's, uh, let's move those out of the way and let's concentrate on the ones that are working. So right. I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to cull them. Don't, don't fall in love with them. Um, that was one thing that um, my wife was adamant about. Lily, she, she never fell in love with them. Um, if they didn't do their part in the lamb and barn, it didn't matter how many dollars she generated, what she had done, if they, she didn't do her part, that gal had a red line on her and was going down the road. <laughs> now, sometimes I might have to let that red line go ahead and disappear and <laughs> stick her back in the flock, but she always knew when it came back around again, too. It's like you didn't send, sell that you like I told you to, but she, she was she's adamant about that. So I guess that's the bottom line here is, uh, well, I don't know if any of it was right, but we always kept them line bred and we always tried to work off the positive sides of things and not the negative sides. Yeah. Mm. You bet. I, I like that. Just breed the kind you like. And, and I think if, if that, obviously if that kind starts winning in the show ring, you're in good shape. Uh, if they don't, then maybe you need to reevaluate what kind you like, but uh, at the same token, uh, sticking with that kind and not following trends or, or making sure that, you know, you, you got to chase, chase this or chase that and get yourself behind. We've heard so many times uh, by established breeders that, you know, that, that is the key uh, to at least can maintaining consistency is to not chase things. Um, but, but stick to where you stick to your guns and, and, and make the kind that you like. Yeah. And I have a kind, I, I like a kind. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe as predictable as anybody. There's a specific kind that this guy likes and, you know what? Sometimes that that'll take you to your grave too, if you're too hard headed and you're not willing to change. But you know, the good part is um, those kind were very popular for a while and won a bunch. And then, man, we hit some of this, um, some dwarf stuff, some extra power, some little straight fronted buck need kind. And those kind of changed uh, maybe my, my thought process of the sheep industry and got a little down on the whole business. And Lo and behold, I, I sure feel like that we might be moving back the right direction again. So, yeah, well, that that leads us into our, our next conversation, and that is uh, the dwarf, the dwarf gene, because this has been a, a topic of conversation, a hot topic for I don't know, are we going on two years already? Probably. Yeah, uh, I'd say at least at least been that. done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and I know that you've, you've been pretty closely tied to, to some of the research and conversations that have happened, uh, within the, the, uh, sheep community. So, um, after, after some time, you know, we've gotten a chance to kind of establish some breeding strategies with it, um, and maybe eliminate it where it's bad. Um, where are we now, uh, with the dwarf gene in your opinion? Yeah, that's a hard question, actually, guys. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I was directly involved in the research. That was Oklahoma State University and yep. Gene Check that did that work. And then um, we at Purina, we, we took an opportunity to, to uh, help to teach, help to teach our breeders and our customers a little more about it. And because I, I really felt like that the information that our, the, the folks that were in the business were getting, um, they didn't understand it. Okay. And, and so one of my, one of my roles within Purina, I feel like is, is to help people understand. 
things, okay? Whether it's nutrition, whether it deals with the sheep or goat business, I, I want to I be able to help them understand better so that they can make their own decisions. I don't, I don't want to make their decisions for them. I just want to make sure that they understand so they can make the correct decision. And, and so we did a, we did a, a symposium there in Sedalia two years ago that kind of outlined that. Okay. We, I brought some yearling ewes in that were, had been tested. Some were dwarfs, some were not, uh, some were FF, some were carriers, the, the whole deal because, and then we got Dr. Fitch involved from Oklahoma state. We got Tressa Biggs involved there at gene check. And then we also brought in some, some folks who I think are tremendous breeders, evaluators, et cetera, um, that helped us to kind of describe the differences in those use. And then at the end of that, we talked about, well, well, how do we use these? How do we use these use in our breeding program? If this one's, you know, DD, how do we use her? I mean, let's just not call them all because they're DD or FF. Um, how do we use them? And, and if, if you so choose to, to call them, why so be it. But this is how you get that one more lamb crop out of them and, and potentially um, salvage uh, maybe what's a, going to be a loss, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's what we've done there. And where, where does it all fit? Well, you know, my, my kids show weathers and we, uh, golly sakes, it, all I know is I am very much against the dwarfs. I, I'm very much against that. Not even though I think that their muscle shape and the power they possess and the skeletal width is really neat. Um, I have yet to see one of those true dwarfs that was sound. Mm-hmm. They're, they're traditionally buck kneed and straight hawked and too tight in their spines, et cetera. And well, I tell you what, if there's anything that, um, I, I have a pet peeve on that is livestock that is not good structured. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I, that goes back to being raised in large grass country in Wyoming. If they can't travel to do their work, they're no good. And if we have to stop them and supplement them, uh, because they can't make, they can't do what they're supposed to do on a daily basis, then they're not, they're not worth keeping around. So that's where my pet peeve comes in on the dwarf deal so much, not because um, they're little, they don't have enough performance. That's not a great thing either, but at least we can sell those. At least they're not like spider sh- sheep that, man, we had to knock them in the head. We couldn't even haul yeah. them to the sale barn. Mm, right. um, but, but where I am against it is the structural aspect of it. And, and where are we now? Well, some folks would say that you know, FF weathers that are completely clean, why those things aren't any good because we can't make those things get thick enough for what's going on in the show ring right now. You know, we, we need those things to be massive in terms of muscularity and still sound and good looking and well-balanced and big boned and tall fronted and good necked. And, you know, the list goes on and on, but how do we, how do we, how do we make those? How do we get those? And some folks say, well, we can't do it if, if they're FF because we can never get them thick enough. We can get them good enough looking enough and sound enough. Well, we can't, we can't make those things look good enough and get them sound enough if they're DD. So most folks are, are probably would prefer to buy their weathers with a D in them, you know, so that they can potentially get those things to feed and exercise and mass up and and, and power up with the treadmill and the, and the track dog and things like that. So 
you know, I, I don't go out and, and uh, gene check our, our uh, weathers per se, but, you know, if I'm afraid they maybe don't have enough shape when they're at 60 pounds, I'm, I'm a little leery that I can ever get them thick enough at 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. That's, yeah, that's a good point. It's just, it, it is interesting, you know, uh, when all that research first came out and I happened to be uh, in Sedalia and, and kind of watched that deal, uh, actually where I where I met Tracy uh, Dettinger for the first time, uh, who, who was actually on our podcast a while back. Uh, right. Trevor's, Trevor's old ag teacher, if mm-hmm. you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't uh, know that. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so, uh, but, it, but it was interesting because uh, you, you guys had folks from all parts of the country. Uh, of all sizes and scopes of breeding uh, uh, operations. And, you know, I got to visiting with some friends. I mean, we, we're running, we're running about 50 U's here. Uh, we can't afford to have dwarf sheep. I, I mean, it, it kill it kills your market, especially if they all come out bucked over and straight legged and, you know, all those yeah. things that come with me and a, a double D sheep. And, and so, you know, we haven't tested our U base. We kind of know what we got and, and where it is. Um, but we have managed it and, and we have called those sheep that we know, uh, aren't going to make them right. But it, it was interesting because, um, when this, when this research came out and people were scared of it, uh, they were, yep. they were nervous. They didn't know what to do. Um, okay. so some people made a big deal out of it, uh, and went, you know, did a, did a one eighty on their, on their breeding, you know, strategies and, yes. and completely flipped. And then there was other people that said, you know, we could manage it. And there's other people that didn't care, um, and, and just kept doing what they're doing. So. Um, it, it, I knew it was going to be a tough question to throw at you, but, uh, I thought one that certainly, uh, merits discussion giving, uh, we are about to step in here this weekend, uh, to the Super Bowl of market lamb shows, uh, yep. if you're in the Midwest. And so, right on. um, yep. it's North American is on us. Yes. That was the one thing we wanted to do is just not try to sway people or give them an opinion on it. We just wanted to give them enough information so that they could educate themselves and make it make a, a viable decision for their program. Well, sometimes no, no. even with the pandemic we're in, sometimes the most, the, the scariest thing is just not knowing. That's and, exactly right. And when, when, when you know facts that have been, or at least now researched, you, yep. you can form your own opinion then, and then decide if you want to keep a D in there or not. Uh, like you said, and, and right. education is so, so important, uh, no matter where we go, uh, which I, I guess I can segue into to educating those uh, with the popular time coming up in the lambing season happening all over. Uh, I just saw the Edge family uh, set up their lambing pin. Uh, shout out to Taylor Edge, uh, Corey's just wife. One pin, no. Just we just set up one pin. Well, it it the break dance is what I was getting into. You, you sent out okay. a Snapchat of her getting get boogie with it so i i appreciate her enthusiasm (laughs) it is exciting but uh clay i wanted to pick your brain here over this uh over the years what technologies and management practices have you been able to establish to kind of make it a little less worrisome and problem free when it comes to the lambing barn yep I, i tell you that's a good question and that's a question with my role within purina that i get I get a lot and I, I spend a lot of time on the road traveling and, and doing talks and, and, you know, we've at one time we had nearly 600 ewes here in Calumet, Oklahoma. And that was basically my wife and I that were doing that. And we would hire some, some college kids to help us, et cetera. But boy, we were doing the night checks and we were, we were the ones that were knee deep in it. And one year I remember very vividly, um, we had a group of ewes that 
had gone down. They were mature ewes, about six, seven-year-old ewes, old ewes that um, were kind of on the end of their end of their life cycle. But gosh dang, they'd been good ewes. They'd done their part. They'd made us money, and we bred them. And son of a gun, if those girls didn't go down to to ketosis or what we thought was ketosis, they were they were heavy bred. We were roughly four, five, six days away from those girls lambing. They were down. They couldn't get themselves back up. Um, God, what do we do? And, and it wasn't just one or two guys. It was like 20. Huh. And we were trying to pack water to them, carry feed to them, keep them strong enough to get those baby lambs out of them. And my wife was in tears. She said, Clay, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I don't know what we're doing wrong. You know, so I guess my point is, it doesn't matter how many years, I mean, we've already been in the sheep business for 20 something years when that happened to us. Okay. So it doesn't, hmm. it doesn't mean that just because you've been in the business doesn't mean you're not susceptible to some problems. And, and this was a problem that, you know, we dealt with some ketosis before, but nothing on that level. And what we found out, I mean, we gave those gals propylene glycol and calcium dextrose and K-Rose syrup and you name it, we were trying to help them. But what we finally figured out after we kind of got through the major storm of it was that those gals were actually calcium deficient, hmm. that those ewes were, were in their last trimester, last few days, those babies are growing so fast inside there. And if there's two or three of them and all of them had at least two, some of them had triplets, and, and they were pulling so much calcium from the reserves that mom had that those ewes were, they would lay down and then they couldn't get themselves back up because their joints and their legs hurt so bad that they couldn't get themselves back up. And as soon as they went down, why they're not eating anymore and they become ketotic. So they get into a negative energy balance. So, so it wasn't necessarily ketosis to begin with, but it quickly stepped into ketosis because of the hypocalcemia. And so it was shortly thereafter, you know, a few years that uh, I went to work for Purina. And one of the first things, uh, one of the things that was, I was an advocate of, and anybody who would listen to me inside Purina, Purina makes their living in all reality off of cattle and horses, right? Those are kind of the two big, big species inside Purina. Those, we all know that those are kind of where they're, you know, the, the largest numbers of the animals that we feed. But anyone who would listen to me when I first started, I said, you guys were missing an opportunity. We are missing an opportunity because there is not a large feed company that is, that is helping or trying to contribute to the small ruminant business. And there are an awful lot of sheep and goats out there that folks need some help. They, they want some information. They want some help. And believe it or not, I beat on that drum long enough and finally got enough people to listen that they said, you know, okay, let's at least give it a try. What do we got to lose, right? What do we got to lose? So what they had to lose was kind of a, oh, a couple of million dollar business that has now grown into nearly a $12 million contribution to the company. (laughs) So it's been useful. But I guess back to the real story here was that mineral. That was one of the first things that we went to work on Mark Johnson, myself, Kevin Burgoon, um, went to work trying to, to create a sheet mineral that could help producers. And one of the things that was so high on my topic of priorities was a high calcium mineral because of what we had gone through. 
And what my wife in, in tears had, you know, I said, Clay, I can't do this. We can't do this. I, I can't do this anymore. This is just heartbreaking. And so we, we went to work and we created that wind and rain mineral, which is a high calcium mineral. And lo and behold, we started that stuff at my place immediately. And I'm not saying that we completely quit having hypocalcemia and ketosis, but it went from 20 to maybe one or two out of 500 instead of 20 something. Okay. So, so we significantly have dropped that. And, and I would say that relative to your initial question, how do we prepare our ewes for, for lambing? If you are not feeding those ewes a quality mineral through at the very least through all of gestation, you are causing yourself problems that you don't need to have because a quality mineral helps those use in terms of cervical dilation when it's time um, for parturition to occur. It helps those use to feel good prior to parturition and they get out and they stretch and they move and they'll position those babies better so that you won't have as many breaches, you won't have as many legs back, heads back, etc. So I, I tease people about um, the Purina Magic Mineral because it'll actually go in there and, and manually manipulate those lambs so you don't have any problems. And that, that's not true, but it dang sure helps those used to feel better so that they stretch and maneuver and do their work better for you. And I'm an advocate for those used doing their part. I don't want to have to go pull every lamb. I don't want to have to go pull them things out breach or have to go get that head straightened out because it's hooked back on that pelvical ring. I'm out. I need them to do their work. And the older I got, the older I get, the more that if I can prevent some of that with nutrition and mineral and having those used in proper body condition, um, then amen. I would much rather feed it to them than have to have to do that work. So yeah, that's my biggest thing, guys. That mineral is critical. Body condition scores imperative. We don't need those used too fat. If you got them too fat, those used will quit on you. They'll quit pushing when they're in labor because they're fat and out of shape. If you got them too thin, they're going to quit too because they don't have enough energy. So a body condition score three when they're starting to lamb, it's the right body condition. Three out of five, five, one being skinny, five being fat. So those are just some quick rules of thumb that I think are pretty, uh, pretty critical relative to lambing time. Yeah. And, and it goes for all species. If you think about it, I mean, even if you've got an animal and no matter what species there, there's going to be some that struggle and those are the kind you probably don't keep around, but even the ones that do a good job, if they all have that source of mineral, then you're going to save yourself a lot of problems. Like I'm just repeating what you've said, but what I, my emphasis was it, it is all species. And, and I see that in the fair in the fair house, um, they got to do their job, but when you supplement them, right. Uh, it makes their job even easier. Um, so that, so that's interesting. Uh, and <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, having a wife that is very picky and with the red crown, I, I guess that can be beneficial in a way or two. Cause, uh, I'm guilty as charged. Hey, that one's out of so-and-so we probably ought to keep her around. Uh, no, she didn't do her job. She's out of here. <laughs> right on. So, yep. um, and I will do a shameless plug for the, uh, for the purple tubs because, um, not only do they, do they have a high quality mineral, uh, inside the tubs but they also make good gardening uh growers uh, for <laughs> there we go. so uh i do think my dad took a picture uh he saved 
Well, we we saved just dang near every single one of them because they're they're great. Uh, they're useful tools outside of just uh, holding some mineral. But uh, my dad did take a picture. He he had the largest uh, tomato plant I've ever seen in my life growing out of one of these. How about that? <laughs> so I'll have to send that to you sometime, Clay, if I can find yeah. it somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Those uh, purple tubs cool. have actually been very revolutionary to the business uh, because of their their protein and, and that fat level is what's so unique yeah. about it. We can, we can shove protein down. I'm at 25% or whatever, but to get 10% fat into an extruded nugget like that and keep those gals in body condition is, 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 is real unique. And, and we're real proud of that product. And it's certainly helped a, a lot of people kind of maintain body condition and keep those gals in, in proper shape. No doubt. Sorry to interrupt you, Corey, but I wanted to update our folks about the wonderful folks at Legacy Livestock Imaging. Charles and Heidi Anderson are still on the scene, folks, and they're taking amazing pictures of all over. You guys know the drill. If you haven't been to LegacyLivestockImaging.com already, what the heck you doing? I'd like to know the rock you're living under. Let's get our laptop and phones open and get to LegacyLifestockImaging.com and book your session, rather it be inside or outside of the ring. They're the people to use, folks. LegacyLifestockImaging.com. So, so let's uh, let's dive in here to to another topic of conversation. As we approach Louisville, uh, I guess um, nobody has a crystal ball for 2021, but I would love to get get your take. You know, with several fall majors happening, you know, Tulsa happened, uh, Kansas City happened, uh, Louisville, as we know it, it, has happened. We've at least had a market hog show to this point. If they decide to shut it down before this weekend, I'm going to be upset. But I will um, say they made them stop for 10 minutes today while I was watching it uh, because there was not to, enough people to, with to masks on. Yep. 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 And, and I think if we all continue to do our part, um, you know, those things will will play out. But uh, where do you see these major events happening in 2021 uh, with so many unknowns here in society? Well, that's a great question. And I, I wish that I did have a crystal ball to, to figure that out. But all I know is that I have one daughter here left in the house that is a freshman in high school that has four years of show and lambs left. And I have a middle daughter that's a freshman in college that will show at her last OYE this spring. And we are going to continue as if nothing has ever happened. And the reason why we are going to continue is because I believe so strongly in the program. And if we don't get to show them, we, have, we still can't throw out the time that we spent in that barn preparing those animals to be competitive, the time that dad and those girls have spent together and mom down there helping us prevent fungus, uh, deal with problems, et cetera. Those things are irreplaceable, regardless of whether we show those things or we don't. And granted, there is nothing worse. And we got that, that happened to us at OYE last year, where we actually moved our lambs in on Sunday morning. We moved them in to the facility and Sunday night, we moved them right back out because they shut us down. Uh. And you want to talk about tears and, and devastation and, oh, my gosh, we have spent all this time on these animals. And now what are we going to do? And we didn't have a, another show to take them to. I mean, these things are 
you know, over a year old and 160 pounds. And there's not many options left at that point. Oh, why he's kind of the end of the road. Uh, and so we hauled him off. But the value and the lessons learned, and, and, and there's a lesson learned in that too. I mean, you know what? We don't always get we don't always get to pick what we're gonna do. We don't get to pick our endpoint. We don't there's there's that's life. That is part of our life. It's part of our what Certainly. we do. And you know what? Whatever they decide is going to be okay. I will tell you that I hate those masks more than anything in the world. But uh, I will wear my mask because I think it's important. Uh, and if they believe that that is what's going to help us to continue to have our shows is for us to put a little blue mask on, why, so be it. I can put a little blue mask on and I can do my part. I don't think it's going to make a difference in whether we are sick or we're not sick, but that's what they believe. And so by gosh, I'm in, I can do it because I'm going to do my part so that we can show them next year and the year after. And so you guys can show your hogs and your heifers and your lambs and the whole bit. We're going to do our part. So that's, that's the only thing I can say is we're going to continue to go to the barn every day and do what we do and hope like heck we get to show them in the end. That's couldn't said it better myself. And that time in the barn, that is probably what you remember than what you placed at the last major. Right. Uh, at least in my case, I have more fun stories in the barn at home than I do in the barn at the show. Uh, sure. There's great there's great stories at the show too, but right. I, I love the comment and the enthusiasm. Uh, hate the mask too. My whiskers around my mouth get stuck through them and they're annoying, but I'll wear it if that's what we need to do to keep the keep the pace here. Right. No doubt. Well, Trevor, I think that leads us into a new segment, or not a new segment, but a segment nonetheless, and one that I'm real interested to get Clay's take on. Go ahead and lead us into it. This is what we call The Breakdown, brought to you by Brad Howe for our great friends up there in Kokomo, Indiana, award-winning customer service, and Corey experienced it firsthand. So if you're not going to call Brad Howe for just call Corey, and he's going to tell you to call Brad Howe Ford because that's where you need to go to find your new vehicle purchased. So Corey, I'll let you take this one because I know you're excited about it. Okay. So obviously we are, uh, we are done past the window for... Uh, prepping for Louisville. Uh, if you have, if you've taken the time to get sheep ready for Louisville and uh, you haven't taken any uh, approach 30 days out, um, good luck to you. I, I hope that everything works out. But uh, I, I think the important part about this breakdown conversation is closing in on the target show. So uh, I, I know a lot of people kind of think about when they buy a project, what's the end game? Where are we going? Uh, what show? What show is this one going to finish at? Uh, which one do we want to hit? And so, so Clay, if you wouldn't mind, uh, break down feeding strategies thirty days out from your target show uh, for weather. Best practices for getting one dialed in for show day. I don't know that we're the right folks to answer a, a question like that, but uh, all I can do is just give you at least what we do. And I'm a, I'm an advocate for animals that are trim and youthful. Um, regardless of whether we're talking about fat steers, if we're talking about 285 pound barras, or we're talking about 160 pound market lamb, I want those things to be trim, immature, and youthful. And 
how do we do that? Gosh, we, we also need them to be massive and full and wide. And oh my gosh, we, there's so many, there's such a big list um, in terms of the criteria, in my opinion. But um, I am an advocate for keeping those animals thin and trim as long as I possibly can. Um, I do not, I do not like to sit on animals at the end. Uh, the last 30 days is not the time to be monitoring fat and worrying if I've got them too heavy, too fat, too whatever. That's not the time. I want to be feeding them, man. I want them to be watered and drenched and fed. I want to be maxing them out the best I can at that point. So that last 30 days, you can't do that unless you've got them prepared the 60 days or 80 days prior to that. And so, you know, if, if I've got brought lambs in or I've got lambs that are um, pretty far along at uh, 110 pounds, they're, they're pretty fleshy and pretty fat and they're growing good and they're eating good. Why? Well, that's the right time for me to go ahead and slow down that intake and get them things on a, you know, a pound per head per day, or I mean, a pound morning and night, pound in the morning, pound at night, two pounds a day, and just let those things cruise along a little bit instead of letting them continue to eat everything they want on full feed. And then all of a sudden I realize they're 145 pounds. They got 3,500 fat on them and I've got to sit on them. And I would rather not have to, to squeeze on them, sit on them and starve them. I'd rather be able to bring those things along slowly because as soon as I have those things fat, I have changed their maturity. I have Hmm. made their chest look different. I've made their breastbone look different. I have made their neck look different. I have changed the way they, they, they look compositionally, regardless of whether I skinny them up again or not. So I'm an advocate of trying to keep those animals very thin and bring them along slowly so that I have the ability to feed those things at the end and, and get them to bulk up, mass up, freshen up, shape up, expand all of the above um, the last 30 days the best I can. Mm -hmm. that's kind of our philosophy in a nutshell, or at least my philosophy probably shouldn't say R because uh, some people may strongly disagree with that. I know that there are folks who, who think they want those lambs to get fat early so that they can, they can uh, squeeze them back later on. And, you know, everybody has, has what they think is right. That's just never been the way that I like the way they look at the end. So what makes this deal so fun? There is no, no blue book of, of how to do it. (laughs) That's why there's, uh, I don't know how many different feed companies and representatives. It's a fun game to play. (laughs) And when you got a way to do it, same thing, what we talked about with raising them. If you got a way to do it and you like the way you do it, how about we do it? (laughs) So that's exactly right. And, and I think it all just comes down to what you want them to look like. I mean, we all want them to look different too. I mean, your idea of the ideal is probably different than mine and and it should be. That's just the way life is. I'm okay with that, but I want to feed mine to look like how I want them to look. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I I think too, uh, in in a world of of making sure that uh, there's been, there's been more talk in the last three to three to four years about how their bottom line looks, their chest to flank relationship. And if you get one too fat too early and you drop that flank in them too far down and you will never be able to get it sucked back up to where it balances with their chest at some point in time. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm like 100%. Uh, there's a lot of things know, like that. An expert about that, but you know, there, there are things and you mentioned that, that, you know, breastplate falling out or, or neck shape 
looking different, you know, depending on how, how quick you decide to push them or leave them on full feed. It's, it's very crucial to make sure, uh, I guess I could have rephrased my question instead of, you know, leading 30 days, you know, what do you do the the last 30 days? Uh, In a lot of cases, if you don't have them right before that window, uh, it's minor <laughs> tweaks, I guess, at that point. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. Right. you got to have them set up how you need them so that you can prepare them the last thirty days. Right, right. This is the best. Yes. Well, to close Very out good. for you there, uh, Clay, this has been an, an incredible episode. Um, my sheep notebook is gaining, just in case you know the future kids. Who knows what's going to happen? That's uh, great. <laughs> but no, the the one of the things we love to hear from from all of our guests in this season is just what are some of the lessons that you've learned in your time in the stock show industry? I would I would tell you perseverance. Don't uh, don't ever give up. Believe in what you're doing. I, I will tell you that when I was in in college at Texas Tech and we were really starting to kind of make a move on the sheep thing. Okay. Trying to, trying to make a plan and, and start. I had some folks who I, I, I respect a tremendous amount. I mean, to this day, I respect them tremendously. And, and I told them, and you know, I really think that um, I like those sheep that are just a little taller fronted and longer and skinnier necked and longer bodied and, you know, just leveler and look cooler and maybe aren't as powerful and, thick and ugly and massive as kind of the Texas sheep were at that point in time, kind of off balance, but really powerful. And they're like, those things will never, those will never sell. Don't do that. That's, that's a foolish move. Don't breed sheep like that. That's a, that's a poor decision. And it's like, you know, probably is, but I don't like those other kind. Hmm. So I'm going to breed them like this. And we'll see what happens. If I go broke, why? Hell, that's why I'm getting an education. I'll, <laughs> I'll find another way to make a living, you know. So, and as it so happened, that uh, that trend uh, of look and balance and skeletal quality and structural integrity actually uh, um, took off. It was very much an important part of the sheep industry, and and still is. But even though I feel like we maybe forgot some of it for a few years during the dwarf era, but um, yeah, I sure think some of that's coming back very rapidly. So I would say perseverance is one of the things that um, was was something that this industry taught. And, you know, just because somebody doesn't believe in you doesn't mean you can't believe in yourself. And if you don't have the capability to believe in yourself, nobody else ever will. Mm-hmm. So step right out there and do it yourself. It's okay. I love it, man. This is awesome. And, uh, I, I really, really appreciate your time, uh, here this evening, Clay. And I'm, I'm really anxious to get this out there to see how it's received. It's going to be very well. I can already tell. Uh, so I got to give, uh, my hats off to Corey here for, for setting this deal up. Um, way to go. Well, I, uh, I just appreciate Clay, uh, you taking some time here and I know you, you texted me a while back and, and said uh, you know that you love listening to the show and 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 some of the things that we were talking about and uh, I knew then that you know you were on our list to talk to just a matter of timing uh, I couldn't think of a better time to have you on uh, so appreciate you um, well hopefully you'll see you down Louisville this weekend um, I know you said the, that uh, you guys aren't bringing anything down but uh, we'll we'll hopefully get to catch up yep. there I will be there and and checking out and seeing what I can learn from everybody and seeing what kind of the trends are in the sheep industry at the North American. There we go. go. 
we we appreciate you and uh see you down there yep y'all take care thanks another one as dj Khaled would say Corey edge man oh man uh by the way the history lesson of the cattle ranch loved it i'm sure the folks listening uh the same way but um holy cow i, I would literally love uh to sit down with him for another two hours just discussing that alone yeah Yep. And it sure sounds like Clay is really, um, really thankful that you can't saddle a sheep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I would think though, at some point in time, his, his time on the ranch probably helped with sorting, sorting sheep at, at, uh, his current stage in life. But yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, the history lesson and, and some, some educational stuff in there, um, too, uh, things to maybe think about thought provoking conversation, um, man, all, all around, man, I, I don't know. Sometimes people ask you, uh, still, what's your favorite episode? We're, we're approaching episode a hundred and I, I don't know that I could really pick one, but this one's definitely high on my list. Yeah, no, I was, I mean, even, you know, how big I am on the pig, pig guest, but holy crap, I, I learned a lot. Um, so thankful for that. And we're also thankful for you guys that still listen, uh, week in and week out. We are gearing down and getting some ideas for episode 100. Um, so it's going to be epic. And uh, we're, we're brainstorming even further of how to make this deal uh, blown out of the water. So excited for that. And uh, we're excited to keep on trucking uh, here in 2020 or what's left of it. Thank God. Um, but 2021 <laughs> is right around the corner. And uh, yeah. well, you're right, man. It is right around the corner. And uh, I would also like to say, for those of you that are listening, uh, with as many options as you have now to listen to uh, show stock and livestock related podcasts, we are very thankful for all of you that choose to still listen uh, and and run with us here at Stock Talk. Uh, I am I'm an avid podcaster and so I a uh, podcast listener, so I understand that uh, there's lots of lots of shows that you can listen to, uh, but we're still thankful that uh that you folks have stuck with the original how about that the original that's right guys we love you and uh, we truly mean that and we're going to gear up for next week we'll catch you then